Hello, Duke fans, and welcome to episode 503 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. This is that episode that we hate to do. It's the episode where the season is over, where Duke doesn't play another basketball game until, I don't know, early November, and at least not one of any consequence. But we have to talk about the game that Duke just finished playing, which uh, unfortunately was a loss to Tennessee in the second round of the NCAA tournament in Orlando. I am your host for this episode. I am Sam Klein. I am coming to you as I often do from my home in Cambridge. I am joined by Jason and Donald, who are also at their respective homes. And uh, can everyone just announce what they're drinking? I've got a uh, Donald encouraged me to to make to make myself a drink. So I've got this uh, this like canned uh, or bottled old fashioned cocktail. And so no mixing required. And I'm a lazy person. So that's what I've got. Donald, uh, what do you got? Well, first off, you know, drop in our group chat uh, where you got that so I can get some as well, because I definitely need it for today. But right now, what I'm drinking is also a classic. It's the Bell's Big Hearted IPA. It is 9.5% alcohol and an Imperial IPA. It's very, very good. And I need it. And it's uh, it, it's from your home in Michigan. So that's right. The, and I um, I'm it back. Jason, drinking... Jason's here. What's up? Yeah, I'm drinking my tears. Uh, oh yeah but in a that's little a lot while, of alcohol jason yeah in a little while i'll probably pour myself a little lagavulin which is uh some scotch that that i really like very a very peaty scotch i like my scotch pd i like to be able to taste the ground that it came from so are you a Lafroig person because i'm a Lafroig person i like Lafroig. yes it's yeah. uh, okay somewhat it's same, similar to same cloth yeah. Yeah. And yeah can can everyone spell Lafroig? l-a-p-h-r-o-a-i-g Lafroig. It's oh, Lafroig. Okay. It looks like Lafroig. Lafroig. Uh, Duke got Lafroig. Best part of the today. podcast. Does that does that <laughs> does that count? Listen, uh, we're gonna we're gonna do our best here to be uh, both measured and emotional at the same time. <laughs> professional. I feel. Prof- I think professional. Uh, professional, but also but also caring and loving at the same time. Right. I think this is what we hopefully excel at. I I specifically recall the show that we did last year the day after the final four when jason and i were at the uh, we're at the cafe and we're in mississippi oh yeah that Alabama, was nice, man. That somewhere was on the way back to uh, on, on the drive back to atlanta the unfortunately long drive back to atlanta from new orleans so we won't be taking that drive this year but uh guys let's talk about it the final score is 65 to 52 maybe that final score is a little bit bigger than than what the margin was for most of this game. It felt like Duke had a fighting chance in the second half, although yeah, Tennessee ten- was Tennessee really more running us, away. They held us at arm's length the the entire second half. And I, Sam, I, I don't know how you're going to set us up if you want to do headlines or anything like that. I do want to, can I just very, first of all, say full credit to Tennessee. They, they played uh, an outstanding game. They came up with a really good game plan for how a bunch of 23 and 24-year-old men would play against a bunch of 18 and 19 year old boys. And, and the guy who really gets a ton of credit is Rick Barnes. I think John Shires had an outstanding first year. I have no regrets. I have no great criticism of him, but John Shire got taken, got got taken to lesson by Rick Barnes today. I I feel like I told you, I told you before the, in the preview, I told you that Rick Barnes is prone to make, the big mistake and it's on the team to capitalize on said big mistake. And I have to give him credit. There was no big mistake. I was waiting for it. 
and it just didn't happen. I feel like I need to maybe take some of that blame if you believe in the karma, because I told you that Rick Barnes has only struggled against Duke uh, in the last 20 years. And this definitely felt like he was he was making up for the round of 32 game when he coached the Texas and maybe also uh, the game when when J.J. Redick became J.J. Redick. So uh, dynamite. Yeah, it could have been. Yeah, it could have been. It, it could have been all of that. Uh, the other thing that we should know, Jason, I, I I would like to agree with everything you said sort of in summary about the, you know, the outcome here and also the admiration that we have for John Shire and for the team. Before we get into it, the other detail that uh, unfortunately, because we don't get to do this real time right before the game that we didn't know about when we previewed this matchup was that Duke would be without Mark Mitchell. The first time this season, I believe, that Duke was without Mark Mitchell. And also the yeah. first time in a couple months that uh, Duke had a significant player uh, out due to injury. We've talked extensively about how much worse Duke is when they don't have a key player this year, whether it's Jeremy Roach or Derek Lively or even Derek Whitehead, who was coming off the bench. But man, what a difference it made to not have Mark Mitchell on defense. I've I've probably... Uh, been guilty the most of the three of us of telling you that Mitchell's not living up to my expectations this year. And it's sort of clear to me when he's not uh, on the team and when he's not available that the team works completely differently defensively. As much work as Derek Lively was doing, he can't do it all himself. And that was evident today with Mitchell on the bench. Apparently, John Shire said in the postgame press conference that they found out five minutes before the game was to be played that Mark Mitchell was not able to go. So he was in the starting lineup until five minutes before tip-off. Wow. <laughs> and was had to be pulled because it is uh, whatever was going on, I guess he tweaked his knee or something in practice that it wasn't ready to go. But I think we all learned today how valuable Mark Mitchell has been to this team all year. The fact that there was a lot of times where, I mean, I was at my best friend's house with all, we were all there. And we were all watching the game, and the name Mark Mitchell, man, if Mark Mitchell was was here, came up a lot during this game because there's a lot of instances in this game where Mark Mitchell, I feel like, could have made uh, a bigger difference in this game and would have been guy who's going to allow that the physicality of this game. I know we're going to talk about it more, but I think Mark Mitchell would have been there for that. It's it's it sucks that the last game of the year is when you find out how valuable someone truly is. And so we need to make sure that, you know, I guess the lesson is going forward, we need to give people their flowers while they can still smell them, right? Like, it's not like he's gone, but the season's over. And the guy that, you know, probably got a lot of scrutiny throughout the year ended up being one of the most valuable players on this team. It's it's one thing to look at the final margin and go, oh, you know, Mark Mitchell's not worth 13 points or whatever to Duke. And I'm not saying, oh, we absolutely win this game if Mark Mitchell plays. But it's a closer game. There's no question about that. I think the biggest thing was it, it it really messed with Duke's rotations. It meant that we were more tired. Look, there were times in the second half where we were absolutely, clearly very tired. We missed his athleticism on defense tremendously. I mean, the guy that just went off for, for Tennessee is a guy that it's pretty likely Mark Mitchell would have found himself matched up against, at least occasionally in this game. And, you know, Kenny Denard... Shout out to Kenny, the dog. When we interviewed him earlier this week and we said, Donald, I think it was you that asked the question. Someone said, hey, what's the biggest key for this Duke team? Mm -hmm. And he didn't hesitate. He goes, health. If they stay healthy, 
Well, and Carlos Boozer said the same thing. I mean, he yeah. said defense. He said if these guys can remain healthy, they're going to make a run. And, yeah. And the, yeah. the the moment you're missing a guy like that, it just it changes all those rotations around so much. I, I, I you know, I know Derek Whitehead hit a couple threes early, and and you know that's that's great, but it it felt like he felt out of place throughout much of this game. You know, every you know, all of our starters were were playing heavy, heavy minutes against a Tennessee team that that had a ton of guys play not play heavy minutes. Like Tennessee had, I think, nine or ten guys play ten plus minutes, and they had only one guy play more than thirty minutes. Duke had five guys play thirty three plus minutes in this contest, and we and we got next to nothing from our bench. It just it changed the calculus of the game so much to not have Mitchell. And in recent weeks, it's felt to me like, yeah, Whitehead sort of plays the same position that Mitchell does where he's a big wing, but Whitehead can kind of sub in for any of these players. And yeah, you can move guys around however you need it. Yeah. Maybe with the exception of you can't really have Whitehead play as a big, like if one of the bigs needs to come out for whatever reason and Duke needs two bigs, Mitchell Mitchell slips down to the four when you do that. So So without without Whitehead being able to sub in for everyone, without him being able to give Tyrese Proctor a break or give Jeremy Roach a break, and and with him having to play the the full starter time, and with, frankly, Jacob Grandison like, not being quite up to that task, as as has not been the case for him all this year. Like you said, Jason, the, the rotations are out of sync, and unfortunately, in a game where... Duke is is up against a very physical team that was really happy. Even though some of those some of those were were called as fouls, uh, the refs were mostly letting stuff happen on the court today, and that did not oh, favor we, the team with the shorter bench. Are, are we doing the refs now, or, or are we? Oh, when do, when do I get to go? You on just, my tell right? you just tell me I, when. Let, let, can ready. we do the headlines Let's first? Wait. Let's, Let's wait. do the headlines because I actually. Given what you two have just said, I don't know that I fully agree with you about the refereeing today. So we'll get to that in a second. Let's do the headlines because, as usual, our listeners are the real MVPs. They come through immediately after the game. So, uh, Donald, did you get to see any of the headlines or do you have any of your own? Yeah, I I saw a couple of them. I'll say the one um, that we were just talking about right before uh, we started was from Lee Maxson. And Lee Maxson said, I don't think we're in the ACC anymore, Toto. And yeah, this was an SEC battle, but it's funny that he mentioned that because as we were talking about before, if everyone recalls, there's no more ACC Big Ten challenge. Uh, We are now shifting to the ACC SEC challenge starting next year. Uh, I have a feeling that Tennessee might have moved towards the top of the list of opponents that Duke would face in their first ever ACC SEC challenge. Do you think no question about that? Do you think that Tennessee is above Kentucky now? Because it feels like the only excuse to do an ACC SEC challenge is to make sure that Duke and Kentucky play every year. I mean, you know, we've joked about that when when they announced the the ACC SEC challenge that when Duke doesn't play Kentucky in the uh, in the Champions Classic, that we'll play them in in the ACC SEC challenge. Uh, I, and for the very first one, I, I I wouldn't be shocked if they go with a Duke Kentucky matchup just to try and get the highest ratings they can. But Tennessee is Tennessee's on the list. There's, you know, there's no question about it now. And this was, look, this was a big national game that the whole country saw. It was the only game on during this time period. I I, I wouldn't be at all surprised if they match up Duke and Tennessee next year. So, Jason, any other headlines from you that you want? I know you liked uh, Lee's headline. Anything else 
stick out? I did. I, I really like Jared Strauss. Rocky Top tops Duke in Rock Fight. Uh, I, I thought that was well done by Jared. And uh, William Carberg gave us Missing Mitchell, Duke beaten into submission. And, uh, you know, as we've implied, the, the beating that Duke took will be part of what we discuss in this game. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed Jared's as well. And I, he doesn't have Duke in the headline. I think the way that it specifically read was Rocky Top tops in Rock Fight which I thought was was great. And and I would like to try to say it five times fast, but I'm not going to. So yeah, uh, yeah credit credit to that one. The other one that I liked was uh, Chuck Westmoreland uh, incorporated Tennessee's home football stadium. He uh, he went with Vols Tackle Devils inside Disneyland Stadium. So that was uh, that was that was a good one, too. Uh, and it was good, D-I-S hyphen. That's right. Neeland. <laughs> uh, and 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 does all like spell correctly as long as you. Uh, like if you were to remove the dash, so pretty good. So, guys, before we before we talk about the bad, and it does feel like there will be a few things to highlight here. Let's talk about the good. Uh, to the extent that you've got good from this game, Jason, I will let you go first. Well, I'm really not sure. I I have a bunch of thoughts that I put together, but very very few of them are are good. I I guess the 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 obvious good would be I thought Tyrese Proctor was excellent in the second half. You know, like in the final ten minutes or so really took over, was making difficult, difficult shots. You know, I, I don't want it, by the way, I, it's not my call, but as far as I'm concerned, I don't want to get into a who's leaving, who's coming back and all that other kind of stuff. So I don't want to discuss whether or not we get Tyrese Proctor back. But if we get Tyrese Proctor back, I, I think we saw some really great stuff from him in the second half. I will be discussing how bad he was in the first half when we get to the bad. <laughs> uh, I, I also thought, like, to me, the biggest good from this game was the fight that the team put put up, we've talked, I mean, Tennessee was bashing, beating Duke hard in this game. In the first five or six minutes, there were three times that the refs called offensive fouls on Tennessee and went to the monitor to check to see if it was flagrant. I mean, like, think about that. In the first, like, six minutes, there were three times they had to stop the action to see if Tennessee had committed a foul that was flagrant. That's how physical it was. I thought Duke did not, for the most part, did not back down, especially Kyle Filipowski, uh, who was just hammered on the entire game. Again, I'm going to wait till the bad to talk about how the refs handled that. But I, I like the fight that this team showed. I thought that's probably the biggest good from this game. I don't think that Kyle Filipowski is leaving this game with anything, but like, or I, I would not, you know. I would not advise him in a way to, to to feel like this was at all a a performance to to hate. Even though he has a very tough night shooting, uh, he he misses five three pointers, most of which seemed like they were online and and in rhythm and everything. I, I think he, for the most part, actually just got unlucky today. It's possible that, that getting hit in the face and 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 having your face bleeding like that might also uh, alter the way that your your head is calibrated and maybe you can't make a deep shot when when you have that big gash under your eye. But I totally agree with you, Jason, that Filipowski in particular, I was really impressed with the way that he took the nature of this game and was like, "All right, fine, I, I will play this way." And and if this is what it takes, and and I believe that he will look back on this and say, uh, wow, I'm, I'm glad that I had that experience and I can, I can recall that game very quickly uh, in, in my toughest moments in the NBA because everyone plays this tough 
at the next level and everyone's bigger, everyone's stronger, everyone goes at you harder. And I, I loved the fight that he displayed and the rest of the team displayed the fact that they couldn't make a shot, you know, was, was sort of immaterial to how hard the team. Wait, was wait, I, Sam, I don't think it was, they couldn't make a shot. They actually shot pretty well from the field in the second half. They, they had trouble with turnovers. That's for sure. And we did not get any offensive rebounds, but the thing I wanted to say about flip before I let Donald jump in on it is I think Kyle Filipowski will both sleep really well and not sleep really well tonight. And by that, I mean, it was physical. It was hard. He worked his butt off the entire game. He will sleep well because of that. He will not sleep well because every time he tosses and turns even a little bit, he will feel the places that he has bruises on his body from the things that Tennessee was doing to him. I think for me, the defense overall, I thought was pretty good. And again, you know, despite how physical this game was, and I think the physicality of this game, we'll talk about the negative. I think that they handled themselves well in the sense that they were able to, you know, limit Tennessee to 40% shooting you know, overall throughout the game. I think Tyrese Proctor, he, what, he had 14 points and three assists in the second half. I thought he played well in the second half. I, I know the first half left something to be desired. And Jason, when you talk about Kyle, you know, earlier in the year, I keep going back to this, right? When we had that that losing rut where we lost a couple of games really bad against NC State and Wake Forest. And we were able to, I was able to jump on a random weekly media conference where Kyle Filipowski had just come off of the worst couple of weeks of his career to that point. And he was like, Hey, I just learned that the ACC is super physical and I need to respond to that. And he did. And we saw another side of Kyle Filipowski and he just kind of went off in the month of January. And even in February, he became our best player overall. And the only thing that, I mean, the thing that leaves me most frustrated with regards to Kyle Filipowski tonight it's not necessarily you talk about how he's going to sleep tonight. My thing is, I feel for him because he can't wake up tomorrow and go, oh, I'll get better from this and let me show you. He, we have to wait until, you know, next year, right, for him to do it. He doesn't get that opportunity to redeem himself and say, oh, physicality, I can match that. And I think the problem is that I thought he played, you know, fairly well during the game. I think there were some, obviously, some bits to his game that didn't play well, but overall, I thought he showed well on defense. I thought he, you know, had these moments where he said, I can take over this game. And I think as a team, we fought. As a team, we showed that we can hang with, you know, anybody. And honestly, I don't think Tennessee was, is a better team than Duke. I think they're as good a team as Duke. And I think we showed that, hey, you know, but for some other things, we, you know, we can hang with some of these teams and, and, be in a position where, you know, with the ball rolls another way, we're winning this ball game. So I, I, I take that, I guess, as the uh, consolation prize. I mean, it, it still, it still stinks, but I think that's the, that's what you kind of leave with as a positive notice. These guys played their hearts out, and I don't think they played to the point where we said, oh, they left a lot on the table. It was, you know, a myriad of factors that led to this loss, but none of it was desire energy or, or intensity guys let's move to the bad i i don't want to linger too much on the good in a game where uh duke plays their their last game of the season in the round of 32 and i have one topic that i, I think jason teased earlier that i want to talk about it's something that we have discussed many times this year and which we thought duke had solved a little bit against oral roberts donald that was the turnovers so duke in this game commits 15 turnovers to tennessee's nine and 
whether they were, you know, <laughs> Jeremy Roach losing the ball in traffic or or Duke just committing offensive fouls and and fouls honestly like match nicely with with turnovers as being like the boogeyman for Duke where Jeremy Roach was saddled with fouls but uh the the turnovers in this game really felt like they were the backbreaker where Duke in the second half in particular felt like they could have kept making shots to get back into it like Tyrese Proctor was was doing when he was making some uh some creative shots down the stretch but they just couldn't get into a rhythm because of those turnovers a lot of errant passes too I think in the in the first half, especially, there was quite a few errant passes. There were some where, again, credit to Tennessee, they kind of put their hand in the passive lane and made a play. There's a couple where it seemed like the ball was going to a person, and all of a sudden you saw this random arm come out of the way, and the ball was tipped into the hands of a of, of a Tennessee player, and they'd go the other way. There was a lot and, of and, those kind of plays. And you know, Donald, it yeah. wasn't just that the passes got – picked off it ended up in steals or whatever it was that Tennessee was able to bother our passing so much that the passing wasn't accomplishing very much throughout the entire first half Duke scores 21 points in the first half the entire first half we rarely took a shot where you went that was a good shot that was a good possession that shot was set up by x or y happening in the right kind of way I, I felt like for the entire first half Duke's offense was bring one of our bigs, who, by the way, never touched the ball in the post. Never. Like, our bigs never touched the ball in the post. Ryan Young never once got the ball in the blocks. Derek Lively, I know Lively doesn't really operate that, but we just never got the ball in the post. All we would do, every possession in the first half was bring our bigs out to the three-point line or beyond it and have them, you know, try and execute handoffs to our guards. And that just, that wasn't working at all. I guess a little credit to Shire, by the way, for changing up a little bit in the second half. But man, it was just hard to watch. The word I used to describe our passing and just kind of the flow of our offense in the first half was discombobulated. And I think, again, where the negativity comes into the physicality of this game, how, how physical Tennessee felt they could be, right, without really fouling, or at least getting called for the foul, I'll say that, Um I think when it comes to that, the physicality led for Duke to be discombobulated on offense, not making crisp passes because they thought, you know, you know how you feel like every single time you're going to get hit, but you don't actually get hit. And then sometimes you get hit harder than you think you will. It just felt like whatever Duke was prepared for, Tennessee gave them something else. And it was, it just led to them. It felt like this team just wasn't on the same page when it came to, the offense and and it, it led for the whole first half and it, even the shots that were taken, like you said, there was a lot of contested shots that we took. There wasn't a lot of open shots. And again, that's credit to Tennessee on that. But also from us, it just felt the discombobulation led to the sloppiness. And I think that's where uh, they lost the plot a little bit, especially towards the end of the first half, where despite all that, we were only down like two points. And then all of a sudden you blink and we're down six. A related topic to this is that Duke loses the rebounding battle in this game. And we know that Duke has been one of the best rebounding teams in the country this year. Only six offensive Damn. rebounds. Yeah, six offensive rebounds. I mean, that's, oh, that's, uh, it, sorry to jump in, but when, when you get beat on the turnover battle the way we did, when you get beat on the boards the way we did, when you only get six offensive rebounds, 
Guys, I've talked about it a million times. My favorite stat, field goal attempts. They had eight more field goal attempts than we did. It is almost impossible to beat a team when they get that many more field goal attempts than you do. And Duke's toughness on the boards. Like I, I actually think that, that Duke was going hard at rebounds. I just think that they were not prepared for whatever reason for how hard Tennessee was going to go at the glass. And it wasn't, you know, this was not a game where Duke could just rely on Lively and Filipowski to to do what they need to do. They both end up getting a, a decent number of rebounds. Lively has 11 and, and Filipowski has eight. But keep in mind, as Jason said, because the bench was short in this game, collectively, the two of them are only uh, on the bench for, for six minutes. So in ter- on a rate basis, this is a game where both of them should have had, you know, 12 plus rebounds to keep the margin close with a volunteer team that that was really tough on the glass. And and by the way, it is worth noting there isn't a single Tennessee big man, you know, they, they, guys, you know, six nine, six eleven, six eight, seven one. The guys that Tennessee's running across the 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 big man, there wasn't a single Tennessee big man who played more than twenty three minutes. They were just rotating these guys, uh, you know, wave after wave against Flip and Lively, and 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 we had no Mitchell. Mark Mitchell, by the way, has been Duke's. Third, you know, he's been our third scorer for the most part lately. And and he's been, you know, our, our third rebounder. He's not our best player, but lately, especially with his defense, he's been arguably like our third or fourth best player. And he's been our a key player on defense and rebounding. And I just think the fact that Tennessee was able to constantly rotate different big guys, beefy, really physical guys in against us, wore on us big time. Let me predict right now that if Mark Mitchell returns to Duke next season and and like Jason said, we're not going to spend all the time speculating about who's who's going or whatever. But if Mark Mitchell comes back, there will not be enough enthusiasm about what a leap he is going to take as a sophomore unless the Duke program decides to put it out there. Because as you said, Jason, there's kind of a lot of ways where it feels like he could put things together, especially when he has an offseason to do so. And it's very evident from this game that there's probably more than meets the eye with Mark Mitchell. Jason, I know that you want to talk about uh, Duke's defense or lack thereof on Olivier Kamwa, which I think is due in large part to to Mitchell's absence. Before I get to that, uh, the only other thing I wanted to highlight in terms of the the raw numbers was uh, Duke getting themselves in foul trouble in this game. And and maybe this, this also relates to the other topic that both of you wanted to talk about, which was the referees. But really a tough matchup for Duke with a short bench when both Kyle Filipowski and Jeremy Roach are in foul trouble. Roach committed his fourth foul with like 12 or 13, 15 minutes left Eight in the minutes. game. Yeah. 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 And, and it was, it was hard for Duke to replace Roach. They had to go zone for a little while, which was, you could tell was uncomfortable for them. Roach had to sit for a bit and not that, not that Duke needs him to to handle the ball because Proctor has been doing that. But if Roach is on the bench, it's, it's kind of hard for Duke to have that dynamic scoring, you know, from, from other places other than, you know, off the ball. Uh, so that was kind of a, a tough one for Duke to swallow. And honestly, not a problem. Foul trouble, not a problem that Duke has dealt with much of, even given the the shortening of the rotation in recent weeks. Jason, let's talk about the, the defense that Duke played against Olivia Kamala in the second half. He finishes the game uh, 10 for 13 from the field and three for four from three. A guy who is not normally a three-point shooter, 
um, but was getting everything he wanted. And, and I think probably if, if, you know, if we were the, the Tennessee basketball report, we'd probably be talking about how, like in the course of a couple minutes, he hit a huge three and had a putback dunk. Um, uh, if they weren't on, on back-to-back possessions, they were like within three minutes of each other that this feels like it was the, the combo game. Well, I think that they said, I don't have the exact numbers in front of me that he scored 17 of their last 19 points. That's that's outrageous. That's ridiculous. And and let's be clear, Sam, you sort of teed this up. This is a guy who averages 10 points per game. He hits 31% from three. Against Duke, he goes for 27, which is a career high. He hits three threes, also a career high. 27 points, by the way, is more points than he scored in their last three games combined. The three threes he hit, it's more threes than he's hit in their last six games combined. He's never hit three threes in a game in his career. He went three for four. And the key thing about this, about this guy going Bootsy Thornton on us, which he did, the key thing about this is that Tennessee is a great defensive team and a team that struggles on offense. That has been the book on them all year. That has especially been the book on them over the past month and a half or so. So when a great defensive team that struggles on offense gets a guy that suddenly starts carrying them on offense, a guy that starts going off and scoring points in bunches, it makes it, it completely changes the way the game is being played. He scored close to half their points. Look at the final score and he scored 27 points. I mean, it, it, and a lot of it, a lot of it was just him going off. I don't know that I want to, you know, Sam, I don't know that I want to put it a lot on the Duke defense. I don't think that we did a particularly terrible job on him. He did a really nice, nice job of getting in the lane and getting those medium range jumpers. The three pointers he took, he was open on all those shots because Duke had to help on some other guys and stuff. I don't know that you know we we made a terrible defensive decision on him. He just played out of his mind. He's never, never had a game anywhere close to this game in his career. All right, fine. We can talk about the refs, Jason. Is is that, is that what we, that we want to get it. to? You know what? Let me let Donald get in here with the refs first because I feel like Donald's going to come with some like regular Donald. It'll be sassy, but it and it'll be intense, but it won't be at the level of snark, I feel like, that that Jason will have. So why don't we build up to the Jason level by starting with Donald? <laughs> well, Sam, I don't know, man. I I, uh, I might be on Jason's level with this because I'm just going to start with this, right? In the first half, we all, we all saw the play where Kyle Filipowski went up for a rebound with a Tennessee player. Tennessee player comes down with a rebound and just molly whops Kyle Filipowski in his eye to the point where it bleeds on that same play. Tyrese Proctor gets hit with the basketball in a sweep move where they actually did call an offensive foul. Then they went to the monitor and reviewed both of those calls and said, nah, it's all good. Nothing happened. They didn't even review I, I, what it sounded like on the, on the, uh, on the broadcast. And you guys can correct me on this. It sounded like they just reviewed the Tyrese Proctor foul to see if there was a call, not necessarily the one on Kyle Filipowski. But where I get angry with it is that they called nothing. They said it was common fouls on both. And then the very next play down, not five seconds into the play, into the shot clock, they they have a makeup call. And I'm like, yo, who are we making up a call on? We got hit twice in the other end, and they're going to make up a call by calling an offensive foul on us on a play where nothing happened again. And there was a lot of plays where this, again, 
Tennessee's physicality came from the fact where they recognized that the referees were basically letting a lot of stuff go. And they said, we'll just test the limits of how far we can go until a foul is called. And that limit felt like it never came. And the it, 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 it's not even like they called a lot of fouls. I mean, if you look at it, it wasn't a ton of fouls that were called. But at the end of the day, we had three guys who had four fouls. And that changes the dynamic of a game. Everyone knows that. It changes the fact that those guys have played, especially, you know, Jeremy Roach, the very first foul of the, of the second half was his. He had to play the rest of the game with four fouls. And it makes it where this, the refs just did not show up and they decided to let everybody play. And that was not the right call in this game because this game was super physical. There was a lot of plays where guys went up for, Duke players went up with the basketball, without the basketball. They were getting hammered. And there was, Nothing, not even like a, hey, play on, we're going to let this go. Because on the other end, if something happened similar to what happened down on the Duke end of the floor, Duke was called for a foul. There was one play where uh, I believe it was Derek Lively got called for a moving screen. Then they flashed over to John Shire, who said, yo, that's not a moving screen. If the guy runs into Derek Lively and Derek Lively moves, it's not a moving screen. It's a foul on the guy who runs into Derek Lively. On the very next play down, down the floor, Tennessee set the did the exact same play, set the exact same screen. We run into it. They call a foul on Duke. This is not something that refs need to be doing. And frankly, the refs took this game and made it a little out of control at points because of the fact that the physicality won the day. And we it, there's a lot of points where we couldn't match that, but we also didn't have an opportunity to because the refs took that opportunity away from us. I'll give you an alternative take before Jason gets in here, which is that uh, Duke gets called for 17 fouls in this game. Tennessee only gets called for 11. And I'm going to tell you that the reason that Tennessee got called for fewer fouls is because they understood what level this game was being played at. They figured it out earlier. And I think they knew because I was sort of watching the the expressions on the faces of, of all the players in this game. I think Tennessee figured out, hey, they're going to let us get away with stuff here, right? Like, uh, we can we can mash Kyle Filipowski in the face, and he has to go to the bench to get like what seemed like nearly uh, surgery. Like he nearly had to get had to get his face stitched up, and then came back in the game and was playing. Hey, and they don't call him the best cut man in men's basketball for nothing. That's like, right. <laughs> there you go. Uh, I think that that to the point about the coaching in this game, this is a rare instance. I think this year where John Shire did not recognize what was going on in this game and tell his guys, hey, play smart, but but use this physicality to your advantage. There was one instance, I think, where Kyle Filipowski got called for uh, one of his standard, I think he gets called for a charge every game when he's running to the basket. Uh, other than that, I thought that the refs were at least consistent, even if they were sort of letting him play maybe more than I would like. All right, Jason, I, I, I need your version of this. All right, so first of all, to your point, yeah, the refs were consistent. They consistently did not call a foul a foul. And as a result, a Tennessee team that has that that had a much deeper bench, had a lot more big men that they could use, was able to just pound Duke mercilessly and never got penalized for it. You can't say, oh, they recognize what the refs were doing. If the refs don't call fouls that are clear fouls, then that changes the sport you're playing. We weren't playing rugby. We weren't playing football without pads. We we're playing basketball. And when a guy takes the ball in the lane 
and you bump into his body and it causes him to miss the shot, that's a foul. It's been that way since James Naismith put up the goddamn peach bucket. And for these refs... Dang, to... he put a James Naismith in this. Let's go. He did it. He, 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 slipped, it. he slipped it in there. He was Keep ready. <laughs> this is one of those... Sometimes I'm, I'm aware that Jason has a script and sometimes I'm not. This is one where he clearly had this written out. Oh, no. Actually, I did not have I did not have a script. Oh, this, this, this came Naismith from right was, in your soul. That was out of my back Shh, of my head. In the, in the belly. I had some, I've got some scripted stuff. This is not on... This is off script. The referees <laughs> did not allow this to be a regular basketball game, and that's an abomination. Sam, you already mentioned it. A every single person who saw that game said, oh, wow, that was a really physical game. Wow, you know, they were they were really banging hard. Tennessee only committed 11 fouls in the game, and like half of them were offensive fouls. That's a joke, right? Not only not only were half of them offensive fouls, but oh, I think over half of them got reviewed. Yeah, like, uh, oh, for, I'm going to get yes. to that. I'm going to get to that. being flagrants. But that has to be a joke. How how could you watch a game that the entire country says was one of the most physical basketball games they've ever seen, and there were only 11 fouls committed by Tennessee? Duke shot seven free throws in this game. Let me repeat that. Duke shot seven free throws. Are you telling me? Are you actually telling me that Duke was only fouled going to the basket like three times in this whole game? That's laughable. That's absurd. Well, Tennessee didn't commit enough fouls for Duke to get into the bonus, so yes. Yeah. It is it's it is literally like the referees decided that they're allowed to blow that thing in their mouth when the offensive guy commits a foul, but not on the defense. Uh, it, it it was Can you... ridiculous. It, it, hold on. And, and by the way, this is Rick Barnes basketball. Rick Barnes has always played this way. ACC fans, you should remember him from when he was at Clemson. He did it at Clemson. He did it at Texas. He's doing it now at Tennessee. Why does he love orange so much? Why is Rick Barnes always coaching teams that are orange? I don't know. Every it, shade of orange. I, yeah. I, is is he? Uh, I, how did Syracuse not hire Rick Barnes immediately upon Jim Beheim retiring? I don't understand it. I was going to say they, they they have an opportunity now. Uh, they did they have it as a head yet. coach, but who knows? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but regarding Rick Barnes, uh, he he's an old school coach. This is a guy I remember from my youth. And he wanted to take this game back to the era of Charles Oakley and Bill Lambeer, mentioning guys that probably were around before Sam was even born. I, I've the, heard of them. I've heard of both yes, of those you've guys. you've heard of them. Exactly. I know that he they're wanted, both goons. Yes. He wanted to take it back <laughs> to late 80s, early 90s NBA, which is not fun on the eyes, not easy to watch. And I cannot believe that the referees went to the monitor three different times on Plavsic. The, the starting big man, the dude who weighs 280 pounds, 7'1", 280 pounds, who whacked Kyle Filipowski in the face three different times. They went to the monitor three times and never called a flagrant. And you know what? I understand why, because none of them quite, I don't think, none of them quite rose to the level of flagrant. But at a certain point, you go, you know what? We're back here on this guy again. This guy's done it again. Maybe we should call one of these. There, there's an accumulation that happens. There has to be an accumulation that happens where you go, we got to, at some point, we got to, bring down the level of this a little bit at some point. We're constantly coming over here and checking out this guy beating the crap out of the other team. Maybe we should do something about it. It was ridiculous, and 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 it impacted the game tremendously. It's no coincidence to me that the player who was among the, lead, the, the, the best in the entire country at playing defense without fouling is out of this game. Do you know how great Mark Mitchell would have been been on defense in this game the fact that it's it's no coincidence that he's out and all of a sudden this game becomes is a game where 
you know, you you could get two dollars and try and buy a file and you wouldn't get one. Like it's it's unbelievable. So the the last thing I want to say about the refereeing is, uh, it, obviously, it changes the game because they because it allows Tennessee to push Duke around and Duke doesn't go to the free throw line. But the other way that it changed the game, I think you saw, especially in the second half, that Jeremy Roach and Kyle Filipowski, when they were taking the ball into the lane, they were not trying to draw contact. They were trying to avoid the Tennessee players because they knew that they were not going to get the foul call. And if they if contact was made, they were going to miss the shot and they weren't going to get to the free throw line. So if I'm not going to get free throws out of this, I need to avoid the contact because otherwise I'm going to miss the shot. And as a result, they missed the shot anyway. But that's that's another way that I feel like the refereeing impacted the game. Duke, I, I, I on several possessions, I noticed it looked to me like the Duke players were trying to do something different because they knew that even if a Tennessee guy crashed into them, they weren't going to get to the free throw line. They even had that one play where Kyle Filipowski, I believe this was the first half, it, it was it was the play where they had the the inline angle, and he basically went straight at a guy. Just dude just went right into Filipowski's chest, and Filipowski made the made the uh, layup. And everybody's like, "Oh wow, what a strong move by Filipowski!" Filipowski should have been hitting free throws at that point too because it was a foul. But he even looked at that point; he kind of came down. He, normally, he kind of is a little bit demonstrative when a foul is supposed to be called and it doesn't happen. But even then, he kind of shook his head like. Oh, they're not even going to call that. Then we're you know, we're in for a long day. By the way, last thing I want to say about the Duke offense, really quick. I really felt like we were playing three on five most of this game on off on the offensive end of the floor through no fault of his own. Derek Lively, Derek Lively didn't take didn't take a single shot in this entire game. In fact, his his usage rate was like three percent or something like that because he had a turnover. <laughs> the, the only thing I, I'd say on on Lively's usage is that. I, when you say it's no fault of his own, I don't know if this was a Lively thing or a John Shire decision, but Lively was not rolling to the basket when he was setting screens. Yeah. And so he would he would set screens, which he does very effectively. And usually he's good at putting himself in, in space to like get a layup or or get the ball in such a way that he doesn't have to dribble a lot down low to make the shot. We've talked about how, oh, we wish he had more of an outside offensive game. I do too. At least he's good at getting close to the rim. He was kind of like setting screens and then waiting in place for something to happen. And there's nothing that Derek Lively can do 18 feet from the basket. I'll tell you, I'll tell you exactly why. It's because the physicality of this game, Tennessee was giving them just a little bit. Not like, I mean, that wasn't one where they're actually like mauling or anything, but they're giving them just a little bit of a push. What did that push do? It kept them off balance. And when when you're doing that play and it's all about timing, right? Like the a pick and roll play is all about timing. When you get the ball, when you when you set the pick, when you actually move off the pick, and when you actually receive the ball back for a layup or a dunk or whatever, right? Or put yourself in position to do that. That timing was off, and that little punt, the little push that they were giving, not all the time, but half the time, they were giving him a little push, and because of that, he didn't know how to react to that because at that point the timing was lost. And that, again, when I talk about the, the offense being discombobulated, those are little details why. And by the way, Sam, uh, you know, again, I was saying Duke was playing three on five. Uh, this was a game where we need – Derek Whitehead hit a couple early threes, really, you know, looked like he was going to come out and and be great and did nothing like the final 30 minutes of this ball game. And we got no, – uh, to say we got nothing from our bench, I, I don't want to dump on the guy too much, but – this was a game where Jacob Grandison needed 
to provide something. <laughs> and, and it was, uh, again, I don't want to dump on the guy, probably the most disappointing trend. I can't believe this guy was a two-year starter at Illinois <laughs> and he just, he never amounted to anything for Duke this year. So do you want to not dump on him or do you want to say what you just said? I just, I just dumped on him. I think which, I just dumped Which on do you want? Guys, let's take a break. We, 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 we could use the cooling off. We'll come back. We'll give uh, our favorite plays. We will give, I don't know, any one seeds losing to 16 seeds or something. We can do all of that after the break. I feel like we should also talk about the incredible video that Duke put out about uh, Derek Lively and his mother. So uh, we'll, we'll cover all those things in piecemeal when we return. Stick around. Hey there, Duke fans. You know, warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with factors, no prep, no mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-created meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors' fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. That's right, Jason. And Jason, I can tell you, I just got some meals. They're fantastic. And the great thing is, like you said, two minutes, mindless work, pop it in the microwave, do what you need to do, and it's ready to eat. No more cooking, no more cleaning pots and pans. And also, there's a lot of choices with 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week. So you'll always have new flavors to explore. All right. So head to factormeals.com slash DukeBB50. Use that code DukeBB50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code DukeBB50 at Factormeals.com. Get 50% off your first box, 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Enjoy Factor Meals from the Duke Basketball Roundup. Okay, we're back. And guys, let's start. Let, let, let's lighten the mood a bit. Let's talk about what a great kid Derek Lively is. For those who didn't get to see uh, Duke men's basketball on, I think it was on Thursday, right before the tournament started, uh, Duke men's basketball put out an amazing video about Derek Lively and uh, and his mother. I, I didn't know really any of this story. I, I had not uh, dug into really any of the players coming into this season, but the, the summary of it is that uh, Derek Lively's father, uh, who was also named Derek Lively, died when when young Derek, Derek II, was eight years old. And uh, so so Derek's mother has been raising him, it seems like, on her own since then. And in that time, uh, she got cancer. She has had to go through all the uh, requisite treatment. She's been in remission only for, it sounded like, a year or two. And that they they highlighted how Derek's been able to use some of his uh, endorsement money to buy her a house, to help support her. And it, it was just an incredibly beautiful uh, story and tribute to both Derek and his mother, it seems, who not only is very supportive of him, but seems to be around a lot. And uh, the the coaches talked about what a great presence she is and, and how much Derek and her mean to each other. So just any... Any thoughts about the uh, about the video? I'll, I'll let Donald get this one started. It was beautiful. Um, it's just a beautiful story in in capturing. And I, I credit to 
you know, Duke Blue Planet, the, the men's basketball team for capturing this story and, and capturing all all of the elements of it, the pain, the joy, the the sorrow, uh, the redemption in a way, right? It it was it was beautiful how they presented it. And it goes to show you that one, there's a couple things. One, you should never underestimate what someone is going through, right? Like I had no idea that he was dealing with all this at the same time that he's trying to play basketball. So when, you know, it puts you in a perspective, right? When you, when Derek has a bad night and you're like, you know, we, we, you know, some people like, Oh, get this guy off the court. He might be going through some other stuff at the time, but also the NIL money, it, it kind of showed, you know, the first check he said he got from NIL, he used it to buy his dad a tombstone and his dad died 12 years ago. His dad didn't have a tombstone. And I understand that, right? Like my, like, my my aunt, my uncles have to go through that. My cousins have to go through that where they didn't have enough money to afford the tombstone for someone's grave. And for him to be able to use his money to to provide that closure is 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 beautiful in the way. It's also heartbreaking in the other because the fact that you know this 19-year-old, 20-year-old kid or what however old he is has to worry about that. And I think people fail to recognize that when they talk about money in college sports and how these kids should not be paid and how these guys should be just happy that their education is, is payment enough. There's some real life stuff that these, that these kids are going through and that they're constantly dealing with. Um, I'm very happy to hear that his mom is in remission. I think they mentioned that it was like just last summer that she was, that she entered remission, which is terrific um, and, and looks healthy. And, and the fact that they highlighted that relationship, I thought was really cool. But yeah, it's it was a really great story. I'm glad they put it out. Um, and because it's something that I would love to see more of getting into the 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 stories of of these kids that play that put on the uniform for Duke University, men, women, whoever, and for us to kind of endear ourselves to them. It was part of all this, you know, one and done talk that we've had in many years. It's about the fact that we now know what Derek Lively stands for, what he's about and what he's playing for. And it gives you a, a newfound respect for him. And and it's it's incredible um, what he's had to deal with and what he's had to go through and how he's endured and played some of his best basketball throughout that. So uh, hats off to him, hats off to his his mom, hats off to his family and all those who uh, who have really stuck by him throughout all this. Uh, and thanks to Duke for putting it out. So I, I echo everything you said. I, I also love the part where Derek talked about he had he had a list of things that he was going to do with his NIL money. And it was, you know, by his father, a headstone, by his mother, a house. And then the th uh, did you guys see the third thing on the list? I had to freeze the video to read the third. The third thing said shopping spree. <laughs> yeah, shopping, shopping trip. Yeah, <laughs> I like which that. Which is cool. But... Which I mean, he said yeah. he's going to take care of his people. And then he's like, OK, then after that, I can I can. But I can buy, buy what, me what do we think was on that list? Like on the on the sub list that he doesn't it doesn't post on the on the main pad. I, I think that third list is probably very, very long and will be uh, uh, he will be biting into it once he is a uh, NBA um, player. But uh, the, the thing that I took away from this, you know, we sometimes forget that. These are people as well as players and that these people have people behind them as well who are affected by all this stuff. You know, it's like sometimes they'll cut to the crowd to show a parent, like they show Jeremy Roach's parents a lot. And I, I always, I always think about the fact that 
I mean, I, I care about my sons so much. They are my life to some extent and their success is so important to me. I can't imagine what it would be like if my, if my child's success was being watched and criticized and evaluated by millions of people like that's, it's, it's kind of insane. And I, I, I thought the relationship clearly that, that Derek Lively has with his mother is it's just beautiful. And then the last thing was having nothing to do with that relationship. The other thing that I think that was highlighted in that video was his work ethic and how hard Derek Lively has been trying to improve his game and get better. And uh, I, they talked a lot about his relationship with Emil Jefferson and how much work Emil Jefferson has put in with Derek Lively. And by the way, guys, did you notice? Now, I don't know. It's possible they shot all the video on one day. But if they didn't shoot it on one day, it sure looked to me like, in addition to Emil Jefferson, Derek Lively was doing a lot of work with Stanley Borden playing like mm -hmm. defense, helping him out. Stanley Borden, when when the Duke walk-ons, when the guys at the very end of the bench come in the game, Stanley Borden generally doesn't even get to come in then because he's so far down the pecking order. But there he was in that video working hard with Derek Lively to make sure that Derek Lively had a big guy that he could work against that you know could simulate what it's like to be playing in a legitimate basketball game. And it reminded me a little bit, I think we heard Mark Williams a year ago talk about all the work he put in. I believe it was with Emil Jefferson as well. And Keenan Worthington was the guy who, like they were talking about Mark Williams came out early all the time and that Keenan Worthington and Emil Jefferson would meet him and that they would, and it feels to me like Derek Lively did the same thing this year, but Stanley Borden took the role of Keenan Worthington. I, I you know, I, I sat here just a minute ago and I dumped on Jacob Grandison. Now I feel horrible about it because these are real people. They're working their butts off. They want to win twice as much as we want them to win. And uh, this video was just a, a beautiful example of all that. All right. Can we pivot back to the game very quickly? Uh, now that I've now that I've gotten you guys in a better mood uh, about Duke basketball, give me your play of the game from uh, from Duke's game against Tennessee, and then let's leave the the nitty gritty about the season behind us. Jason, you're first. So it was very early in this contest. Uh, Tyrese Proctor, uh, I, I want to say Duke was on a fast break or something like that. I forget the exact reason, but Tyrese Proctor got the ball, went into the lane, and made a beautiful pass to Derek Whitehead on the wing, who buried a three pointer. Um, it was a real high point for Duke, and it was actually the very same play. It was on that play. Whitehead's three is in the air, and the Tennessee goon, Plavsic, pops Derek Lively in the face, and they went to the monitor and checked it out. Of course, no flag, you know, wasn't a flagrant. Of course not. But uh, it was, uh, you know, essentially an opportunity for Duke to have a more than three-point play, and I just thought Proctor's pass, Whitehead's three, Flip's face, it was all there. <laughs> Donald, what you got? So it was also Tyrese Proctor, but it was in the second half. There was a, a two plays in a row. There was one where he went down the lane, he had the ball, and then he drove basically like it was a very quick move to the basket. And he kind of looked like he like was almost uh parallel to the floor, but he laid it in off the glass, went back down the floor. We got to stop. We came back down. He had the ball in his hands. He ju juked some guy out to the point where he basically almost fell and then knocked the jumper down in his face. Uh, that was a point where I, I was hoping at that point, I was like, oh, Tyrese is trying to take this game over. And it felt like for a minute that he was going to, but those two plays I thought were the best ones. Yeah, I, I had that second play as my play. Donald, I, I wrote it down as 
as Tyrese Proctor's shake and bake. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and if Duke was going to come back in this game, it was going to be uh, on Proctor's back making those crazy shots. I just, he, you know, as we talked about in the first section, he, he didn't have enough of those in his, in his bag. Uh, for Duke to get over the hump. Well, they they also they went away from him a little bit, um, and they went to Jeremy Roach, who had they, there was a uh, I want to say with about three minutes left, Duke got an offensive rebound, kicked the ball out to Jeremy Roach for an open three pointer. That if it goes down, I don't remember the exact score. I didn't write it down. I think Duke would have been within four or maybe five when he missed it. I texted a couple of friends of mine and I said that that was a game winner, or 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 you know a make it a game shot, and. When he missed it, it was a game loser. All right. Uh, thoughts on the NCAA tournament outside of Duke. I, I want to leave this game behind. And as we said, we will spend plenty of time, you know, reminiscing about the season, talking about all the successes and the failures and, and looking ahead to next year. We have tons of speculation to do about who's staying and going from Duke because uh, it feels to me, guys, like more than probably any season that we've done this, that there are a lot of players who we just have no idea what they're playing. Like, like the most certainty that I have is, is that we know that Ryan young is coming back. Cause he's talked about it directly, but basically everybody on the, else on this team could be returning or, or could be transferring or going to the NBA. So let's leave all of that speculation to elsewhere. Any thoughts on the tournament and, and feel free Jason to start with the fact that uh, Purdue lost to fairly Dickinson, uh, hardly Dickinson, mostly wow. Dickinson. Uh, that's the second time that a 16 seed has beaten a number one seed in the NCAA tournament. And, you know, for, for a moment there for us overnight, it was like, oh man, if Duke gets through Tennessee, there's a chance they could be facing fairly Dickinson in the, in the sweet 16. Unfortunately, that is not the case, but, uh, did you watch it? And, uh, that or, or anything else yesterday that you wanted to talk about? Yeah, I, I absolutely watched that. In fact, it was kind of funny. My wife comes in the room. She she watches a little bit of the games. She tolerates it. She we're in, we have a big family pool that that me and my brother and my sister's families all participate in, and and she's in that. And so she's she's very into finding out who won and who lost, so she can figure out where her where she is in the standings. So she comes in. She sees that Fairleigh Dickinson is winning, is about to win the game, and she's like, she's like, huh, a, a sixteen beating a one that doesn't happen very often, does it? And on the screen at that very moment, they flash up. 16 seeds, one and 150 all time, <laughs> you know, in the round of 64. And she looks at it and she goes, oh, oh, it's happened before. <laughs> and I, I just, I howled with laughter. By the way, and so here's here's my big thing from the first round. My my buddy, Andy, Andy Bauman, he's he's come with, he's not a Duke fan. He didn't go to Duke, but he, he's, he, tri- he road trips with me to a lot of Duke games. So he's kind of a Duke fan. Andy Bauman came up with a brilliant strategy. He and I think are going to do this next year. We're going to go to a casino. If you made a $100 wager on every single underdog in the first round of the NCAA tournament, you would have cleaned, I mean, cleaned up in a big way this year. Fairleigh Dickinson was 21 to 1. So again, 32 games in the first round. Fairleigh Dickinson almost made you your money back all by themselves in that one game. When you combine Fairleigh Dickinson and Princeton and one or two other of these, you're 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 double or tripling your money if you merely had bet on every underdog. So that's how crazy a tournament it's been. There's nothing like March. For me, I think the best tweet of the weekend so far, and I know it's just Saturday, is from uh, UMBC's Twitter where they said, we were lonely uh, in reference to the fact that they were the only 
uh, until until yesterday, they were the only 16 seed to ever defeat a one. Uh, that Fairleigh Dickinson game was incredible. Um, it was just it felt like there was so many times where Purdue felt like it felt like Purdue was going to, you know, take the lead and and then not look back. But, but Fairleigh Dickinson just really held them off, and it was it was it was kind of a, a shock to me that uh, Purdue uh, ended up just folding the way they did at the end, and they were able to, you know, Zach Eady seven four Mountain. They were like, "Oh, that's cool. We'll just move him out of the way, and we'll just go about our business." And and that was pretty, uh, pretty interesting. I think a lot of teams were like, "Yo, why didn't you guys just tell us this at the beginning of the season? And that way, we could have played when we played Purdue early in the season. We could have done this." But uh, Fairleigh Dixon had a great, great game plan for that, and 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 they did. They believed themselves. Edie didn't take a shot in like the final ten minutes of the game or something like that. It's they didn't give it's him. unconscionable. They didn't let him. <laughs> Yeah. Well, yeah, but they the had yeah, time, but they had to stand on each other's shoulders to this is the two the you know, the little rascals, you know, three, you know, three in a coat to pretend that they're an adult so they can get into into the PG thirteen movie. They're the like, smallest team in was. division one. They're the smallest yeah. team um, in division one. They have no one over six six. I want to repeat that. They don't have a single player over six feet, six inches tall. Basically, Zach Eady was a foot taller than just about everybody that was covering him. Everybody. <laughs> how how did like Matt Painter? Hell of a regular season coach, but man, I mean, he and Tony Bennett, boy, did they know how to steer a team into abysmal, uh, unbelievable underdog defeat in the NCAA tournament. Last two things I have that was this year is the first year that a one seed and a two seed lost in the first round. Uh, obviously, we only have one other year that we can credit that to. And so you'll know in 2018, all the two seeds won that year because UMBC won. But the other thing is, uh, very quickly, shout out to my Hurricanes. They won. It was very. It was a very. You know, uh, Nurshan Omier. We talked about him coming back. That was a, that was a tough game for your play. boys. It was a tough they game. Did not play well. He, I, he was there. They, they didn't yeah. play well. I'm I'm glad they won. I know Sam doesn't care about the ACC. I'm not. I'm not I'm glad, glad they won. I hate them. They play in the ACC and they're not Duke. <laughs> I I care about the. I don't care. That I no, no, that's fine. To, that's so. fine. That's fine. <laughs> so yes, you can. shout out to them, but. They have a good. They, I mean, they have a they have a tough game ahead of them as well. Uh, they're they're also five seed, but yeah, it, it, it the the number of upsets there were, and it, again, some of them were small upsets. But you know, this tournament's been it was great. I told I told you guys the other day that I wanted chaos to ensue outside of our game, and they didn't listen to that. Yeah, the only other team that I care about uh, theoretically is my other alma mater, which is University of Denver, and I don't think they've made the NCAA tournament in a long time. So. Uh, no, yeah. no conflict. Lacrosse, though. They're, yeah, they're lacrosse. Lacrosse cool. and hockey. Uh, they're the dudes for that. So, uh, love that. Okay. Guys, anything else that we need to touch on on the NCAA tournament before we get out of here? I'm getting nods that say no. So, we are going to leave it there. Obviously, stay in touch with us. DBRpodcast at gmail.com. You all have been great at emailing us all throughout the season. I feel like we've, especially with the headlines, we've really turned up the, the email traffic this year. So, that's been a lot of fun. We will certainly be back to, I don't know, probably talk more about the tournament. I, I'm sure I will still watch uh, at least some of it down the stretch. We obviously have to cover what happens to Duke from here. We have to recap the season uh, in in longer duration. And, I mean, we have the stats game that we have to recap. And uh, apparently, we, we, we're still unsure at this point. But as of April 1st, we are supposed to be under a new name. Uh, we haven't heard anything else from SB Nation on that, but we'll let you know when that happens. Yeah, things things uh, seem to be happening. Behind, like It seems like a lot and also nothing at all is happening behind the scenes on that. But we will tell you all about it 
as as it develops. So until then, thank you again from from the three of us. Let me speak for the three of us and say thank you again for uh, for sticking with us this season and for being a part of this community. So for Jason and Evans, for Donald Wine, I am Sam Klein. This has been season eight of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. Did you like that? Season eight of the Duke like Basketball that, Report podcast. Duke Band, take us home.